Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, Scott and I had the privilege of chatting with retired Air Force Chief Master Sergeant Erica Kelly. Erica is presently a John Maxwell Certified Professional Speaker, Executive Coach, and Trainer and was a 17th Command Chief Master Sergeant for the Air Force Reserve Command. During our discussion, Erica shared her extraordinary story of resilience and how she defied the odds to be hugely successful in both the Air Force and in law enforcement. In case we have listeners that are sensitive to the subject of sexual and domestic abuse, we want to warn you that we did have candid and very important discussions on these topics. We learned a lot from her, and we know that you will too. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership. The Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe, and I have with me my big brother. What's going on, Scott? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I am doing pretty <laughs> awesome, man, uh, primarily because I've been excited to have this discussion with our guests for like yes. weeks, I'm telling you. I, I know you have, too, because th- this, is a, this is an amazing superstar we have today, isn't it? Yeah, no, I completely agree, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so today we have a very special guest, as I mentioned, retired U.S. Air Force Chief Master Sergeant Erica Kelly, who is presently a John Maxwell Certified Professional Speaker, an executive coach, and a trainer. She was the 17th Command Chief Master Sergeant for the Air Force Reserve Command and a senior enlisted advisor to the Chief of the Air Force Reserve. In addition to her executive consulting and military career, Chief Kelly has more than 20 years of government management and law enforcement experience. She serves as a criminal investigator for the Department of Homeland, Customs, and Border Protection, the Office of Profession of Professional Responsibility. And I will tell you, she's someone that I looked up to in, as, a, as a kind of a growing senior non-commissioned officer and a leader. <laughs> uh, Erica, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I am doing fantastic, Scott, Joe. You guys are pretty amazing. So I am oh, thank excited. You. I am excited to have this um, this conversation with you guys. Oh man, yeah, I, I know. I, there's no way you could be more excited than us because we've been <laughs> talking about this for a while. You know, uh, like I said, I'm not even uh, I'm not even blowing smoke. That I remember seeing you. Um, as a leader here when I was learning how to be a non-commissioned officer and a senior non-commissioned officer at Travis Air Force Base. And then I luckily I got the opportunity to see you um, a couple more times as my career progressed. And you're just the epitome of the leader that I've always wanted to be, be like. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, you're very kind. And I know that you and I connected for years so we're buddies. And then Scott, you know, just uh, from knowing you from uh, Scott Air Force Base. That's right. Yeah. The amazing things that you have done. Um, I am just, I'm, I'm doing in my head, I'm doing my little happy dance right now. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, so we always uh, want to, because we got so much stuff I want to cover today in the limited time we have. And the first thing we want to share is maybe if you can kind of tell us 
how did Erica Kelly become the Erica Kelly that she is today? Um, a little bit about your story, your background, um, anything that you can share with us, because we've always discovered that, um, that when, when people share their stories, we can glean so much wisdom from the challenges they may have gone through and adversity, and we can grow a lot ourselves. So we would love for you to share some, some of the experience, trials, tribulations that, that you may have gone through. Well, thank you. I, let me say this before I, I share a little bit of my story. And that is that I spent uh, many years being ashamed of my story, uh, hiding who I had been, and also not thinking about it because I thought that it would highlight something that would make people judge me. And some of the things that I thought people would judge me on was that um, I grew up poor. Uh, some things that I thought people would maybe see um, as weakness, I thought was because I stayed in horrible relationships mm. as a woman. So let me uh, just share how I got to the United States first. Sure. Because I think that's that's key. Uh, how did a you know half naked little kid in Central America, dirt floors, muddy roads, uh, gets to America, and what decisions in this amazing country needed to take place in order for me to, in order for me to be here with you, to, <laughs> with the two of you today, <laughs> right? Wow. Uh, so. Um, the story is very simple. Uh, I grew up in a little shack in Central America, Guatemala. I am the oldest of three. So by the time I was five years old, my brothers were four and three. And I say five years old because that's my earliest recollection of how life can kick you pretty hard. And that is that that's the age of when my mother decided that she was going to leave. And when she left us, she locked the door of that little shack from the outside. And she left me and my two brothers in a place that yesterday was a safe zone and today was a trap. Hmm. We, were in, we were in that room for seven days. And in those seven days, we had water, but no food. And my grandmother was the one who saved us, rescued us, and we went to live with her to another little shack, right? Mm -hmm. In pure poverty in Central America, in which sometimes I, I share with people that we ate, my brothers and I ate ants to survive. We ate... Um, a lot of fruit because it's a tropical country, but bugs were, were something that we just ate to survive. And, um, and I share that story, not because I want people to feel sorry for me, but I, I need people. And I think all of us need to know where we come from. And one of the things that I always tell people today is that do not let your present conditions dictate your future. Don't look at your conditions right now and say, I can't do it because, right? I, I'm always telling people, dream big. 
And I also share sometimes what a five-year-old did in that room for seven days, right? I, uh, in a second, in a second, I was not five anymore. I was the older sister. I was in charge of the survival of my two uh, brothers. And how do I get out? How do I plan? And now uh, I look back and I go, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you guys, talking to you guys, and I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm talking about a five-year-old. Wow. So, but I, I know my experience, and I can tell you that I, I told my brother, we need to make noise, right? We need to hit those thin walls, and we need to tell people that we're in here. And that's what we did for seven days. Uh, my little brother was maybe three. We just pinched him. So he would cry and cry and cry and cry until, um, until someone heard us. So um, sometimes I also share the story that on the fifth day, possibly the fifth day, I heard someone outside. And I thought, and I still to this day think it was my grandma. Mm -hmm. And they were playing with the door and making noise. And I, the, the feeling, guys, oh my gosh, the feeling of we are being rescued, right? That, that, that human emotion of understanding that we're going to get out of what's going to kill us. And exactly, all. Oh, exactly almost exactly at the same time i'm feeling this high that someone is going to rescue us and at the same time i'm listening to the steps of that person walk away and me pounding on that wall saying that we're in there screaming on that wall that we're in there and that person walking away and so i felt that high of life is awesome. And then almost exactly at the same time, I felt the uh, hopelessness. Wow. The hopelessness of realizing that there was, talking about a five-year-old, the possibility of the three of us dying in that room. And it took two more days for my grandma to truly rescue us. And it took two more days after that happened for us not to give up and for us to keep pounding on that wall. So that's, that's my foundation, Joe. That's, that is, uh, you know, and I know that, you know, I'm, we're talking and we're talking about retirement and amazing uh, military career, but um, that, that is my, that's my core. Yeah. Wow. That, that's just such a powerful story. And just, and I don't want to skip anything, but to the point where I met you so many years later and the kindness of, and the, the, just the beauty of a person like you, you know, and to know that, you know, you came from there, you know, what a story of resilience. So it was just so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, I, I appreciate you for saying that, but within that story of resilience, mm -hmm. I, if I can share with yes. the two of you that th there was a period of time where anger mm -hmm. yeah. drove me, right? Yes. I, um, my mother left us. Um, I don't know if to die. I just know that she left us. And um, we go and live with our grandmother. By the age I'm maybe 12, there was an earthquake 
in Central America big enough, big enough that it made the news in the United States where my mother lived in California with her new husband. Mm -hmm. Wow. And because of those news, she told her husband, so this is, you know, this is family drama, guys. She told her husband that she wanted to go see her mother and see how her mother was doing, never telling her husband that she had three children. Hmm. Wow. So she went and the little shack that we lived in with our grandma now was completely destroyed. And our home was four sheets in the middle of the street and having the Red Cross come over and and help us, the American Red Cross help us. So that's that's the picture that my mother that left when I was five, come back when I'm 12, she sees us in the middle of the street and she made the command decision at that time to bring us with her to the United States. Uh, She did not make a strategic decision. She did not think about it. She just said, uh, you you guys are coming with me. But guess what? You guys, what do you mean you guys? Who are you lady? Oh yeah. So so I share with people all the time. I said, anger, oh my gosh, it just rooted in my heart. And um, I was bold enough that I asked her, you know, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you come back? Um, and, and really for what, right? To take us away from our home. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at four sheets, right? I'm like, are you taking us away from this? <laughs> yeah. right? But, um, you know, that was my home. That's where I felt loved. That's where I felt secured. And, and here's this strange woman that is just making a decision that she's going to take us to the United States where uh, who knows what giants live in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a hard journey, uh, Scott and Joe, a yeah. hard journey. We walked uh, through Mexico. Yeah. Uh, we walked through Mexico. We got to the, my mom ran out of money because she only had, remember, she only had her plane ticket. She yeah. never told her husband about the three of us. So we, we walked. I remember, uh, and recently I told this story. There was a, uh, in Mexico, in little villages, uh, Mexico is a um, large percent Catholic. Mm-hmm. And there's these little kiosks as you travel through Mexico. And there are saints in those kiosks. And sometimes you find a little dish of food. Sometimes you find a little dish with money in it. Well, in the journey, my mother um, took, mm-hmm. uh, took the money from one of those kiosks. And um, I, that, that, that fed us, right? Mm-hmm. For how long? I don't mm-hmm. know. That money kept us alive for a little while during the journey. And years later, I remember my, mod- my mother making a trip to Mexico and me asking her uh, where she was going. And she said, I don't know where I'm going. I just know where it's at. Yeah. I just know how to get there. And she made the trip by herself. And, and that trip was to return the money that oh, wow. she had mm. taken from that kiosk. Wow. And, and, and to give back to the community that for that moment in our lives kept us alive. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
<laughs> so yeah, so I'm trying to think of a question to ask. Wow, that was <laughs> so when right. when she came back, was there like a recognition of who she was, or did it? I mean, did it take some sort of explaining, or or did you know right off the bat, like, oh, this is the lady that abandoned us? Well, I can tell you that when she left and my grandmother rescued us, mm -hmm. my mother faded away. Right. From my memory. She did. Yeah. And, and my grandmother became my mother. Mm -hmm. So when she came back, we're dealing with uh, the destruction of our home. We're dealing with, uh, for the first time, me being exposed to death. Yeah. in which uh, neighbors and children and adults have died because of the earthquake. And I also find this woman that comes back and um, I recognize her, but I don't. I'm, I'm looking for files in my little brain, can't find them. And my grandmother, I remember she sat the three of us down and she said, um, uh, Anna is what her nickname was, uh, not her real name. So my mother's, Fake name is Anna for this discussion. Gotcha. But, yeah, but she says um, she said Anna is my daughter. Yeah. So, in my twelve-year-old brain, I'm thinking I have an older sister. Mm. And so, at the same time that I'm processing that thought, she says, "And she's your mother, and she's taking you away." And that's what that's why it's like no. I have gone through enough chaos already, right? At a 12 year old, right. I have gone through enough chaos for you, strange lady, to take me away from the only foundation that I know, which is my grandma. Yeah. Right? And I, I call my grandmother mother. And um, I don't know if I should be ashamed or not, but this is the reality, guys. The reality is that I was never able to call my biological mother mother yeah i uh i don't know how i walked around for years and years even now uh but i don't call her mom mm. uh, and so there's there's still a relationship there right is there or no so so let me so let me run really quickly with what happened mm -hmm. okay uh, 12 years old we get to the states my stepdad john not happy at all, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you imagine? You said yeah. you have four kids, right? Yeah. Can you imagine being happy with your wife? My mom already had a, a one-year-old daughter with her mm -hmm. husband, and here she comes with three kids saying, uh, either mm -hmm. take me or not. Yeah, some explaining to do. Some explaining yeah. to do, for sure. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but nonetheless, because of the, the way that she made the decision to bring us, and because it was so chaotic with my stepdad, by the age of 16, 16, 17, we lived in Las Vegas and I was a homeless teenager. Mm -hmm. So, uh -oh. right? So being abandoned, uh, earthquake, coming to the United States, and then uh, at 16, uh, I didn't speak English. I, right. you know, mm -hmm. I, I could barely, I could barely say hello, but I saw myself being homeless in, in the streets of, uh, of Las Vegas. Uh, I was already working, but nonetheless, I was a homeless teenager. And right. only thing that I wanted to do was finish school. 
for whatever reason, people told me if you're gonna make it in the United States, one, you have to, and I couldn't tell you who told me, but enough people told me that I believed them. Uh, you need to learn the language and you need to go to school. So I thought going to school in America was finishing high school. So my only goal in life was to finish high school. So I worked during the day uh, and I um, went to school at night and a friend from work, she gave me shelter. She moved her kids mm. from one room to another and she said, pay me whatever you can pay me for rent. And she allowed me as a 16 year old to finish high school and after high school for me to get my own apartment. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's amazing. To, yeah. To have a, a, somebody who's there for you at that moment where you really needed somebody too. That's wow. Yeah. And that's a miracle of life, right? Yeah. Uh, right. When I talk to people, uh, I tell them, we do nothing alone. We do nothing alone. And, um, and don't be so prideful that someone is doing this and giving, giving you when you're down, giving you mm -hmm. a hand and for you to go, Oh, no, 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 thank you. I'm okay. Right. I'm always telling people take that hand, right? right? Get on your feet, regroup, and then move forward. Right. Yeah. But, um, don't have that, uh, horrible pride that can destroy you if uh, if you're not careful oh so 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 how did going back to when you're when you're uh yes, when your mother Joe. came to yeah i was trying to think back like because i'm thinking i'm getting the perspective of what what you're thinking right but how did your how did your siblings take that how were they responding oh joe <laughs> okay i'm gonna be quiet for a second okay so this is what's going on Oh my gosh. Um, three almost identical circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it would be like us, the, the three of us, right? right. Mm -hmm. And you know how we always say in leadership, we see the world from where we stand. We see the world from where we sit. Well, the same mm -hmm. thing happened with my brothers and I. Mm -hmm. So uh, my the, the brother that follows me, uh, when I, when I shared with you guys that I was ho uh, homeless at, at the age of 16, well, maybe six months after, he mm -hmm. was also kicked out of the house. And, but he, that made him be maybe 15 and a half yeah. in, in the streets of Las Vegas. And I had that friend that took me in. He had no one. So he ate out of dumpsters, uh, hooked up with whoever, survival, right? Mm -hmm. it, so right. what I'm sharing with you guys is not, I'm not judging my brother and I'm not judging my mother either. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but survival is survival. So he ended up, uh, my brother, his name is Byron. He ended up in and out of jail, uh, doing drugs, not doing drugs. And at one point in our lives, very young lives, uh, I went this way and he went that way. Hmm. And yeah. uh, sometimes I tell people I, I could maybe be in the same restaurant uh, with my brother and I would not recognize him because wow. it's been, hmm. um, I'm going to date myself, but it's been over 30 years mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. I seen him or heard his wow. voice. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
So, so one life goes this way. And, and why wouldn't I, right? The, 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 so I talk about the law of sacrifice, mm-hmm. but why wouldn't I look for my brother? Well, um, by now, uh, I, I want to be in the military. By now, I do want to go to school. By now, uh, what he's doing I, it would have been really easy for me to go into drugs and go into gangs and become a mm-hmm. prostitute in Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and do all kinds of crazy things. Something in me, and I had key people in my life that just just slowly, right, moved me to another road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To another road. But the comfort in the easy road would have been yeah. to to do what my brother did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more familiar road. And so that almost makes it more comfortable. Of course. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. But even, even though a, I guess a more quality of life might seem like that's the easy path. You have to overcome so much to get to it. Whereas the, the hard road is so familiar to a lot of people that they just go back to it. And, and that is uh, that is so key, Scott, because some of us will face taking a risk on something. And because it's a risk, we are paralyzed from taking that first step forward. And what we do is we turn back mm-hmm. to what is comfortable mm-hmm. and we never grow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very, very painful. But yeah, so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at, Scott and Bill. I'm, I'm uh, 16. I'm deciding that I do want to go to school. What else can I do? And, and this, mm-hmm. is, this is the part in my life in where I meet, I meet um, an individual that was key in my life. And um, it was a gentleman that I ended up marrying. Mm. And uh, so... Please picture this and just absorb it uh, because I already know that there was red flags. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 32 and I was 16. Mm. That's a red flag. <laughs> that's, a red <laughs> that's a red flag. <laughs> but, yeah. I, mm-hmm. but, but remember my background. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I saw this right. individual possibly, I don't know, as a father figure, a protector, a savior, whatever, uh, very controlling, extremely jealous, and, um, and then later on, extremely physically abusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where I said, you know, uh, um, do I talk about this? Well, w- why not? Because mm-hmm. I saw his jealousy as someone caring for me. Mm-hmm. I saw his um, his fist when he was hitting me as at least someone cares. Yeah. Because when you've never had that. Correct. That attention mm-hmm. and that, that right. uh, I, I, you know, yeah, I can understand that. Right. So, yeah. so, so for a, a normal world, right? A normal mm-hmm. person, all that is like, Erica, for the love of God, what have you done? What decision for you life have you done? Well, guys, I didn't have any modeling. Yeah, right. I I did not have mentors. I did not have parents. I did not have anyone. I just had the streets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and then here's this guy and um, I remember uh, oh my gosh I remember in those days if you dial 911 uh, the police would come but they wouldn't take anybody away uh, someone needed to press charges it, mm -hmm. the laws have changed a little so I remember can I share a quick story yeah yes please <laughs> so I remember <laughs> I remember uh, just being, he never hit my face, but he, my body was all bruised. So I remember just getting beaten and I am scrambling for the phone. I'm looking, 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 and I finally get it. How did I dial 911? I have no idea, none, no idea. But what I do remember is that um, he continues to hit me and then there's a knock at the door. And then he's like, clean up your blah, blah, blah face, right? And I'll be right back. So he goes to, he was a gun collector. He goes to mm -hmm. get uh, one of his 45s and he mm -hmm. places it right in the middle of my back and tells me to open the door for the officer. So when I'm opening the door for the officer, I'm like, you know, clean my face. And the gun is right in the middle of my back. And I have to tell the officer, you know, that everything's fine, that I, I, it was an argument and um, I, I dial by mistake because I'm, you know, emotional and reactive. And um, the door closes and, uh, and you know, I, I remember him telling me that I would never escape him, ever. Mm escape room and uh, I was so controlled and I tell this to some airmen now I'm sharing this story with a lot of Marines and army guys but and gals but um, I I was so controlled guys that I would get up in the morning and go get a glass of water that's all I was allowed to get and I you guys know me but my frame is small right I'm, mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. five to yeah. about 110 115 and um and he would tell me that i was too fat so every morning when i got up with my little glass of water i would ask him uh can i eat today uh -huh. and he would tell me if i could eat that day or not if we went to a fast food restaurant uh, he would order a kid's meal for me and then cut the cheeseburger or hamburger in half and that would be my food for the day so i'm like seriously god yeah. right mm -hmm. seriously god so um yeah let me go back to when i was 12. i was amazed to be in the united states because i never seen buildings never seen real structures if that makes sense you guys. Yeah. Yeah. and um i remember just being fed my two brothers and i we were fascinated by just opening doors because <laughs> doorknobs were like non-existent right so we we're like <laughs> so i tell with people, everything <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so i tell people you know i got to be the uh, match come command chief and and now i am a uh, senior special agent with homeland security wow 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 and then I'm like, and then I look back and I get little flashbacks. I couldn't even turn the switch on because electricity was foreign to me, right? right. So it's, it's just a freaking miracle of life. Yeah. And, yeah. and just uh, being able to, to trust other people.
If I would have trusted mm -hmm. myself, I'm telling you right now, I would have stayed in the hall. Yeah. I, I, mm. I borrowed, I borrowed trust from other people that saw potential in me. So when did, when did you sort of make that uh, break from your husband? Like, how did you, at what point did you recognize like, this is wrong, like this is not, because again, you had no frame of reference before what was right, what was wrong. Right. So uh, at what point did you decide this is not where I'm supposed to be? I, I knew that it was wrong enough mm -hmm. that I didn't tell people I was getting beat up. That's true, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I knew that it was wrong enough because I um, I slept with a knife under my pillow because mm -hmm. one day, and forgive me for saying this, but one day when um, when he was raping me that night, I would have the courage enough to stab him and kill him. Mm -hmm. So I knew mm -hmm. that, that it was wrong to feel that way. Sure. Right. It was wrong for me to wish that every time he went to work, that something would happen to him. Right. Uh, so I did not go into the Air Force until I was 22. Okay. And the only reason that I went into the Air Force is because of my husband. Uh, remember, Get away? Uh, well, remember, I had to ask permission. Yeah. Hmm. Right. I was totally, I was completely controlled. And I remember him uh, reading a newspaper and watch me watching a, an Air Force commercial. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> right. Because the military is different than Central America. The, the, it was, I, it was in me. It was in me that I wanted to, I don't know. I wanted to prove to the world that I was worthy of being in this country. Yeah. And uh, so I saw that commercial and I go to Scott and I can see it like it was yesterday. I go to Scott and I go, sir, not honey. <laughs> wait, wait, his name was Scott? Yes. Oh Scott. boy, great, thanks. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, Scott, we'll call you Wayne for the rest of this episode, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, sometimes when I tell this story, I'm like, is there any Scots in the audience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, was, I went to Scott and I said, sir, I couldn't call him by his first name. Uh, can I join the Air Force? And um, in and, and that time it was the Air Force Reserve, but I knew that I was gonna be gone for about a year da, 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 because of the training. And I said, can I, can I do this? And then he's like, are you effing crazy? And I go, I think I can do it, right? At least, at least allow me to try. And then he says, do you not understand how worthless you are? No one is going to want you. So do the effing you want. Mm. So permission, brothers, right? Mm -hmm. I got my yeah. permission and I went to a recruiter and the recruiter said, you can be either a mechanic or a medic. And at that time I wanted to be a nurse instead mm -hmm. of now law enforcement. At that time I wanted to be a nurse. <laughs> oh, I, I'll, you know, I'll be a medic. And, um, and I took the test and I went through the physical and everything else. And that's when my true change happened yeah uh, uh joe and scott that's when it's what that's when it happened that's when the military started giving me the air force started giving mm -hmm. me seeds of goodness yeah uh, because my whole life 
until then had been, I was a zero. I was worthless. Uh, you know, what mother leaves your, the ch their child? Uh, what, what um, you know, who's a teenager, uh, you know, and homeless in, in Las Vegas. So I, I had all this negative weight on my shoulders. And then the Air Force slowly started saying, you pass the test, you qualify. Yeah. You're good enough to be here. You're good enough to enter this room. You're good enough physically to, and then it was like, uh, it, it, did the change happen overnight? Absolutely not. But man, it was yeah. so awesome to go back to, uh, to that home and, and say the Air Force said yes. Wow. The Air Force said yes. And um, it was about four months before I went to basic training, right? You know, swear in. And then four mm -hmm. months later, uh, I'm going to basic training. And I remember, I remember staring at that metal bed. And I remember, uh, and, I, and I tell this story all the time, and people think that I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. Guys, I'm not crazy. I, mm -hmm. I stare at that bed and in the, uh, on the side of me, I'm hearing these young ladies cry or, or whisper, what the heck, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not. I'm not whispering, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the TI is going up and down and screaming and da, 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 and I'm like, I'm not, I am, I'm staring at that bed and I'm looking up at the ceiling thinking, God, yeah, my gosh, thanking God that that was the first night in many to come that I wasn't going to be beaten and mm. that after the beating, I wasn't going to get raped. Wow. Mm. So perspective, wow. right? Yeah, no right. kidding. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you measure how do you measure a bad situation? Yeah. Compared to what? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your right? what's your compared what's your frame what? of reference? Yeah. yeah. Because my you know, and I became friends and I'm still friends with some of the ladies that went to basic training with me. Compared to them with mom and dad, uh, beautiful childhood, normal childhood, what's normal, whatever, right? <laughs> but uh, but having a home, having a foundation until, right? Uh, so we all go into the military for sure for different reasons. Yeah. And my reason, my reason was survival. My reason was survival. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just can only imagine coming from, okay, what you had came from at, to all the way to that point. And now you get the taste, the first taste of what, what meritocracy looks like. You can actually work hard and be giving, you know, and you can qualify for things. And for most of us, I was like, oh my goodness, what decision did I make? Why am I here looking at this bed <laughs> <laughs> on that first day? And you're looking at it like, this is amazing. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I, that night is the night as I'm hearing tears and screams and the MTI is going crazy. That's the night that uh, I felt such energy inside my heart that that's when I said, this is forever. Wow. This is mm. going to be my life. This is where I want to stay forever. And I'm telling you right now, if I didn't hit the higher tenure, <laughs> uh, I would still be serving. Yeah. And I'm not saying it because I'm one of those people that retires 
Scott, you know, <laughs> some people retire and it's like, no, I don't want to go. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and, and even after retirement, they're still talking about the war stories. Yeah. Now, yeah. I talk about war stories and I, I love my military career, but it was <laughs> a chapter in my life. And I, the only thing that I did in that chapter is I kept growing. So when I sure. look back at that chapter, I can go, that was pretty amazing. Right? right. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So that, that must have been some of the best sleep you had too yeah. after this point in your life, right? Even yeah. though that first night you probably get what, 45 minutes of sleep before I, they start yeah. waking you up again? Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm telling you, that was, that was a life changing. And that's when I realized how chaotic my my real life was yeah mm -hmm. my real yeah. life was because it was it was so good and i understood that what people were doing and how people were correcting and people were molding all of us mm -hmm. not just me but all of us it was for a purpose and before i didn't have a purpose i was just surviving so um, when i tell people that the Air Force saved my life. Uh, guys, the Air Force saved my life. I remember running um, again after a fight and I only had, I don't know, I only had like a thin shirt because you know he would hit, but he would also tore my clothes. So I remember running behind an alley and I'm covering myself, right? I'm running, but I'm covering myself. And um, the police is called because people can see me running through the alley. And when the police catches up to me, um, I, I remember very clearly that this officer takes his jacket off and puts it on me and tells me that if I don't do something, not him, mm -hmm. not Scott. The other Scott. The other, yeah, not you, Scott. No, not me. The other guy. <laughs> no, no, the other Scott. Um, if I did not do something, they would find my body mm -hmm. in the desert somewhere. And they would do it soon because the violence was escalating so fast. <clears throat> so, no, yes, I... Um, I forever will be grateful to the military, forever will be, I will always be an airman. And I will always tell my story because I, I need um, individuals, men and women, to understand that forgiveness is important, Re uh, resiliency is important, uh, relationships are important, and um, the bonds that you, that you build, I, you guys know my roots. I don't have family, right? The Air Force, you, you became a family. Yeah, so you're, you're, when I say family, brothers and sisters, you yeah. are my brothers. Yeah, your family's 300,000 strong right now, right? It's, yes. It's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I held on. I held on to you. When, when you joined, did you initially join reserve or active duty or, or what was your initial enlistment? So I, uh, during my tenure, I went in and out of the reserve component in the active duty uh, side of the house. Yeah. But, uh, but I joined 
I don't think that I would have been able to go active duty because of mm -hmm. my situation. But I said, oh, it's only once a month and it's only a little bit. And, and that's how I was able to, to get out. Okay. So, um, yeah. So my whole time was under the umbrella of the reserve match right. camp, but with the understanding that within those years of a long career, I was active duty plenty of times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now I was just, I was just trying to piece together how it all worked with being, uh, cause, cause when you joined, I mean, you weren't completely separated from him. It wasn't like you said, no, I'm I was in the military. Still, no. You were still living with him. I yeah. So you, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so after basic training and after tech school, uh, where did I go back? Back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I, I went back and I, I remember being at the airport, being tired, and uh, remember those, I think we still have them, those long duffel green bags mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we just put everything from basic training. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was so tired. I sat on a bench and I'm leaning, I'm leaning on my, my heavy duffel bag. And I closed my eyes and I, I guess I fell asleep. And the next thing I know is, you know, my dear husband, he pulled the duffel bag from underneath me really fast. And I just, my body just leaned forward. Mm. And, and that was my wake up call that mm. I was back home. So wow. I, uh, you know, uh, change takes time. And yeah. it, it, change takes time. So did I go back and, no, I'm an airman. Don't touch me. Don't do this. Da, 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 da. Yes, I did. Once. Hmm. once until he showed me who was stronger until he showed me who was in charge until he showed me that if I said something or I try to hit back he would hit three times as hard right uh, so um, no I, I stayed with Scott and my only salvation was that at that time I was assigned to Luke Air Force Base mm -hmm. and I would drive to Phoenix from Las Vegas little road at that time and um sometimes it would take me five hours sometimes it would take me six hours whatever i didn't care yeah i was alone and safe and when i did my weekends man i was a happy airman can i shred <laughs> can i cut can i help can i learn they're like leave us alone puppy dog go and back like, to your building and get some rest <laughs> and i'm like no can i help you can i and as a matter of fact they were exercises and things where they had already selected teams and no one knew obviously what was going on in my real life and i would go can i go to that exercise no we already have everyone uh, we don't have the budget whatever i'll do it for free mm -hmm. i just want to yeah. be with you guys yeah and uh, so my whole military career started by me you know how it says don't volunteer I, I don't agree with that. I, yeah. I volunteer for everything. I learn from good, bad, and ugly. And it, um, it built credibility with the people that were either the influencers or the decision makers in my life that when the time came to give me an opportunity, they gave me an opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, it yeah. took a little while for me to uh, divorce uh, Scott, but I finally did. And um, yeah, he stayed in Vegas and I kept going.
So I'm glad I'm glad we moved past Scott because every time I hear his name brought up in that light, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, so let's move on to the good <laughs> stuff. <All right. laughs> so, oh. You're so lucky, Scott. I was about to go I back know. and ask more about it. <laughs> but just to give you a reprieve, I'll, yeah. I'll let you go. Know, next part. <laughs> but, but please remember that I don't have any resentment towards him. I don't. I don't have any resentment towards my mother. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. Uh, now, we started this conversation by me saying that I spent many years angry. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's true. I spent a lot of years being angry and asking, why me? Right? Why don't I have that? Why don't I have this? Why am I not smart enough? Right? Why am I so short? And um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. But it, it came a time in my life in which um, I had to forgive my mother. And this is what I learned. Uh, And this is years later, guys. So it's not like magic, right? This is hard work and uphill. Yeah. This is what I learned. And and out of all people, my stepdad, John, right? I'm I'm angry, I'm bitter, and I'm just frustrated. I'm like, I just want to, I had a monster inside my ribcage, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whatever, whatever pain I have felt, I'm going to give it back to whoever's in front of me that's weaker than me. Mm. Sounds kind of bad for me to yeah. say, but I'm sharing my raw feelings with right. the two of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But John was able to sit me down and say, Erica, look at it from a different perspective. Okay, John, tell me. Your mom was married by the time she was 15. She had the three of you by the time she was 18. And by the time she was 20, she saw herself in a third world country as a single mom, right? Divorcing, she was 20 and my dad was 21. They got married when they were 15 and 16, Mm -hmm. right? So when she made that decision to leave, she was a young woman at the age of 20 and did she lock the door to kill you guys she might have done it to create distance never thinking that it would take seven days for someone to find you Mm -hmm. right so once i started seeing things that have happened in my life and i started kind of looking at it not from the and I don't want to call myself victim, but from, from the other side, right? The, the side that's getting hit. And the I recipient. Looking, yes, yes. And I started looking at it from the, 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 other, the other side of the equation. Then uh, forgiveness started replacing that anger yeah. and that resentment. Because my mom lives with me now. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. She is uh, bed bound. She's yeah. paralyzed after a massive stroke. Mm. And um, I take care of her. Yeah. Well, and, and anger yeah. takes up so much energy. Oh my gosh, yes. Like mm-hmm. you can't, it's, you can't move forward in your life and progress and be happy and be successful and find ways to develop yourself. If you're, at least in my experience, if you're angry about this and that and this person and that person. And sometimes the best weight to lift off your shoulder is to just say, you know what? I forgive you. Let's move on. Yes. And get past it. And and not say you never forget. 
because obviously, you know, things will come up to remind you about that. But you, you, if you live your life angry at your circumstances, you will never be able to move beyond them. No, and um, forgiveness allowed me also to have the freedom to not give uh, control to others mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. my emotions. Yes, right. right. Don't give them your energy. Yeah. Correct. So, so growing up in the United States, uh, not easy. Uh, we came to Compton first. You know, mm-hmm. the first yeah. place we lived. So people thought I was dumb because of the language barrier. Uh, people in school would beat me up because I loved Mexican. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, Compton in those days, right now it's a little, you know, Compton nice. is mixed, a little bit mm-hmm. mixed. But when I was growing up there, or the time that I spent there, it was mostly African American. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talk about, okay, every day, you know, you don't belong here. So we're going to beat the heck mm-hmm. out of you. And then the minute we open our mouths, little Mexican kids, we know that we were not Mexican. Mm-hmm. So here we go again. They would just right, beat us wow. because we were not Mexican. So it's like, so do you guys see the chaotic? The, I mean, it's just sure. so, right. violent, yeah. so much, so much just negative energy that um, uh, my, my, my self-limiting beliefs mm-hmm. were of me being worthless. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't I believe that? I mean, what, what would make me think that I wasn't? Yeah. Yeah. You're told your whole life. You know, you're at least made to feel that way your whole life. So. Yeah, yeah, told and shown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're. I mean, you left Scott. I had to bring him up again. <laughs> so you left Scott. <laughs> you're, 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 you're serving. You know, your, your, uh, your country. How did, and and please don't let me skip anything if you want to share it. But like, how did we get to the point where you're doing law enforcement? Like, how do we go from, <laughs> right, right, from, from where, right, how did you get to that point? Because I'm like, wow, then you, then you, at some point you got into and law. And I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I come back from, uh, I come back from basic training, uh, tech school, and uh, things are very chaotic. Uh, I'm going to UNLV in Las Vegas, uh, pursuing a uh, nursing degree. And then I thought, you know what? I will be a great medic in the Air Force, but this is not for me. Hmm. And I switched my major to criminal justice. And my goal then changed Hmm. to being a DEA agent. Wow. So I wanted to, I wanted to prove to the world. So it's all about self-worth and self-value and transformation and evolution of a person, right? So what's driving me in those years is that I want to prove to the two of you that I am worth something. That was my drive, right? And, um, and, was, and what was fueling that drive was anger because you thought I was dumb. You thought I was too weak. So I'm like, I want to prove to the two of you that I'm not. So I, I chose DEA. I got my my bachelor's in criminal justice only, only to be a DEA agent, no other agency, only a DEA agent. And I remember, uh, and again, this is years and years ago, but I remember being in Egypt with the Air Force. And I am, I'm going from Egypt to Somalia back and forth. 
Um, by then, I'm flying, um, I'm a crew member flying airbag, so I'm a medic mm -hmm. in the back of the plane. And I'm in Egypt, and where does the DEA find me? In Egypt. <laughs> wow. And the DEA says, uh, you have an academy date, you're awesome, and we'd love for you to be a special agent with us. Wow. And I'm like, touchdown? <laughs> I have, right, because that was my only drive, that was my only dream. Yeah. Wow. And then, this happens. When is the academy date? Blah, blah. But I'm deployed. Mm -hmm. We don't care. What do you mean you don't care? Can I be put in another class when I get back? Uh, no. The government's going to go into a government freeze, hiring freeze. And if we don't put you in this class, it's going to be between three to five years, maybe, if we select you again. Wow. So again, going back to that little shack of yes. <laughs> and then boom. No. Right. Yeah. I get that I get that amazing phone call saying, We have a date for you, Erica. And knock on the door. And then within seconds, the footsteps. Wah, 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 yeah. Wah. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. it's, if you don't take it now, um, uh, you, you don't have a slot. So my only dream, my only hope was the DEA. And then again, I had to say, why just the DEA? There's other agencies, there's this, there's that. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I ended up coming back from uh, Somalia. I ended up um, applying for the Department of Justice and I became a, um, a special agent with um, immigration out of all places. So I was an immigration agent for um, a good number of years wow. before Homeland was created, obviously sure. after September 11. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And how was, so, so you're, you're, Trans, you're, you're really at this point. So we go from, um, you know, that uh, there's so much to unpack here, right? So Am we I go from. You, Joe? Oh no, no, no! I'm just trying to like uh, package this question the correct way. So you go from a battered woman to excel, and not even just being accepted, but excelling in male dominant career fields. I mean, like. Yeah. Like how, how, how does this happen? Right. Like I, and I know it has a lot to do with their mindset, but if you can help kind of like relay, cause you're going from, like I said, battered woman, um, feeling hopeless, right. To a point where, where, you know, you're excelling because you're controlling your behavior, but there's anger in there too. Right. So it's like, there's, there's, all, there's all this stuff happening at one time. And then you get to this point where you, you, you're living, maybe it's not your dream, that original dream, but it's kind of like, you know, you're learning how to adjust and be adaptable and live a new dream. How do we get to that point? With a lot of hard work. Yeah. And um, I think earlier I, I shared with the two of you that, I borrowed belief mm -hmm. because at the beginning I didn't have belief, but this is what would happen, Joe. I would have in the air force, I would have a supervisor or a peer and that person would go, um, what you did was really good. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> and when someone said you have potential, I, my inner voice would say, 
if they really knew me, they would realize what a fraud I am. So I had to, and that's why I'm saying, if, if I would have not believed in what other people were telling me, I would have gone my brother's path. Mm -hmm. But I chose to believe you, Scott. I chose to believe you, Joe, in which I would say, you really think so? And I would put, I would silence mm -hmm. my inner voice and say, I don't want to let Scott down or Joe down. So if he believes that about me, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it afraid. And then it got to a point in which I then started believing in me. I had enough confidence to uh, <clears throat> not see that you were on the other side of the road. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to go across the road because Joe's waiting for me. Uh, then it started kind of turning and I would see the road and I would go, we need to cross the road. And then I would see, I would see you Scott and I would go, uh, and then you would ask me, Erica, you ready? And I would not wait for you to walk before me so I could follow, right? I would go, come on brother. And That's we nice. would walk together. And then it got to the point in which I took self-development and self-growth so seriously that then I would see the road and I would see that I might cross and land on my face and I would welcome landing on my face because that would teach me something Yeah, that I could get up from and then look and go, come on guys. And then right. it wasn't about, um, you know, the, I teach a lot uh, on the classes that I teach. I teach a lot about success and significance. Hmm. And, and when we measure success, most of the time we measure success by uh, individually what we have accomplished, right? But if right. you need to have a little bit of success to have significance, right? Mm. But once you move from having personal success and then you move to significance, that's when you are feeding others. Right. Yeah. And that's when wow. you're giving, that's when you are not holding on to anything and you just have open hands, open hands. And you know what? Anybody, anybody is welcome to take whatever they want because I have zero ownership, hmm. zero ownership. If I fall, I know I can get up. Yeah. If someone punches me in the face, guess what? Been punched before. Hmm. So, uh, so the, the, the unknown doesn't scare me. Yeah. And me hiding my past, like I shared with you guys earlier, Mm -hmm. doesn't scare me either because I'm talking to two amazing men right now. And I can tell you that I feel extremely comfortable sharing some things mm -hmm. that I would have never, ever talked about years ago. Mm. Yeah. Because wow, I wanted to, I wanted to hold on to that image, right? Well, right, I, yeah. I'm a master sergeant. You know, what are they going to think if, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Uh, or I'm, or I am law enforcement. 
And um, so no weakness, no this, no that. Um, but uh, I, I learned very quickly in law enforcement and going back to, I'm so sorry, Joe, I took like a detour. <laughs> oh, no, no, please. And going back to your question about male dominated uh, career fields, uh, in the Air Force, uh, there's more females than, uh, than other branches of the military. But nonetheless, it is male dominated. Mm -hmm. uh, because I was a risk taker as an airman, I ended up working with the Army quite a bit. And I also worked with the Marines quite a bit. So in the Air Force, there was this, especially in the medical field, there was this nice mix of male-female mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, male-female in leadership roles. Yeah. But in other branches of the military, not so much. And in other uh, branches of the military, then um, your physical, right, endurance mm -hmm. is what dictates if you're good or not. Because that's, you know, again, we're going back to survival. So sure. I was, uh, I worked very hard. I, I used to power lift. So I was a mm. uh, I was a weightlifter. I um, I'm learning all kinds of stuff today about you. I did not know you were a powerlifter. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, so I I make sure that I make sure that if I was going to be in a uh, male dominated environment, that mm. I could carry my weight. Mm -hmm. And I never justified my existence. So in. Um, I remember in my civilian side of the house getting um, picked as a special agent and being assigned to this specific squad. And I was excited, right? Shiny badge, I got this job, downtown Los Angeles, and I am a special agent. And then I walked into this room where I'm the only female and all the guys just look at me like, get the hell out mm -hmm. i'm like hi guys you know like a little, again little puppy dog hi guys <laughs> and they're like get the hell out and it's not their eyes saying it is their voice saying it you don't belong here and i'm like oh yes i do i was assigned and this is da, 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 da. i think you're my supervisor and they're like <laughs> i'm serious get the hell out because you're gonna put all of us in danger Right. And, and what was their mentality? Why was I hired? I was, I was hired because I qualified. I was hired because I had good grades in school. Uh, I, I passed the fitness, not female, but male standards, because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being hired because I was a girl. Mm -hmm. And, but they didn't know that. The only thing they knew is that I was female, Hispanic, and that somehow there was a quota <laughs> that needed to be met, and I was that. Uh, so again, in their eyes, I had no value. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, how am I going to survive this? And this is, this is what I did. I don't know what others have done, but this is what I did in the Air Force. And this is what I did in a joint environment. And this is what I did with the guys in my civilian world. And that is that if you, uh, if you Scott and I were paired up for the day, I would be, and I, and I already knew you hated me. I already knew that if, if I got shot, you would go, see, we knew she was unsafe. 
right? I already knew you did not have my six. But I did not. Not, not me, really, though. No, no, like, no. Yeah, just <laughs> so the I'm listeners don't get the wrong idea now. about me. <laughs> Scott's getting self-conscious now. Oh, He's been labeled God. a couple of different things during this. Oh, but, but you know what I mean? You don't, yeah. you don't want to work with me. But I decided that I was going to be the best partner you were going to have for that shift. That I was going to do the best and when Joe and I work together, and we would leave it alone. When mm-hmm. Joe and I would work together, I would be that same person. Uh, if, if you cussed me out, if you did something, right? I, w- I, w- I wasn't confrontational, right? I stood my ground because I needed to, but I gave you my best as an agent. And this is what started happening. In a group where I was not in, someone would say, Erica is blank. They have never worked with me. They only know to say that because of their internal biases. Mm -hmm. And then you, Scott, would say, you know what? I worked with her last week. And that's what I thought, too. Yeah. But, you know, she had my six that day. Right. And then if Joe was in the room, Joe would go, yeah, you know what? The other day she did X. And that's how I learned um, to build trust in a tribe where I wasn't welcomed. I never judged them for not liking me. I understood why they didn't like me. Sure. I mean, I remember arresting, I don't know, 20 guys, bad guys. And I was a case agent. That means, you know, you catch them, you clean them, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I called my supervisor and I said, I, I need help from the team. And my supervisor said, um, you're going to have to call them and you're going to ask mm-hmm. for help. And I said, sir, this is not the time to be diplomatic, <laughs> right? I have, <laughs> I have 20 bodies that I need to process. I need you to be the leader and to tell <laughs> them yeah. that they have to help me, right? And I remember being in that processing floor and one of the guys, you know, he, he, everybody did their job, right? And I, and I went to this guy and I said, hey, dude, um, thank you for helping me out. And then he goes, you know what? I don't like you. I'm not helping you out. I'm doing what I'm, I'm, doing what I'm told. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know that. That's why I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you because you're doing something that you don't want to do. I'm thanking you because you're putting the bias that you have against me to the side for the mission to get this accomplished, to get the bigger fish, to do whatever we were going to do that day. And he's like, what do you mean you're not upset that I don't like you? I'm like, I don't control your emotions. Yeah. And that's, but my thanks is not for you to help me because you like me. My thanks is because you put what you think about me to the side for the mission. And um, to this day, we're friends. That's awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Am I talking too much? No, it's just, no, I was, man. 
Well, I you are like a professional like, speaker, so. I know, right? Yeah, I know. We need to get, well, we're definitely going to get into that, but I feel like we need to have well, episode two with Erica just talking about some of the law enforcement experience. We need to have, we need to have you on again, but, uh, but, but just as Scott alluded to, we definitely want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you transitioned to a life of being a professional speaker. Like, how, so how, how did we get to that point? And, and, and what is it that you, um, what does a day in the life of uh, Erica Kelly look like now in, the, in that career? Maybe not now with COVID, but like now <laughs> as in uh, tra- transitioned out of um, some of the things you were doing before. Yeah. So now it's sweatpants, t-shirts. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is, this is what I did. Uh, I am right now helping a, uh, a business owner, nonprofit who is helping active duty members transition from uh, active duty, either separating or retiring into civilian side of the house, that, that mental side, right? That the, mm. the, the military doesn't teach us that oh, yeah. they're like, yes. uh, thank you for your service. Bye-bye now. And then right. you have all that programming and all that conditioning. Uh, yeah. But w- what do I do out there? Right. Yeah. Where your ribbons mean nothing, your rank. What uh, are you? Uh, are yeah. you? Uh, are you a soldier? Were you in the army? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, everyone, everyone in the military is a trained mercenary, right? That's uh, yeah. And, or, or are you a pilot? <laughs> yeah. A pilot when they ask you about the Air Force. So this is what I did. And I was very intentional about this. Two years or maybe longer before I retired, I knew without a doubt in my mind what my purpose in life was. And that was to share my story. And in order for me to share my story, I needed to be competent at telling my story. Yeah. And I needed to become a better communicator. I started looking at, and I knew that I was going to miss my tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I seen brothers and sisters leave and some very painfully, uh, I seen brothers and sisters leave and they, they don't, some, somehow their growth stops after the, their military career. It's like, come on, right? Um, and feel successful, right? So where is this weird gap? So anyway, uh, two years before I, I retired, I decided that I needed to start transitioning out yeah. and be happy about my chapter in the military. And not look back and go, mm, like some, mm-hmm. right? Not all, right. but some. And that's when I thought, that's when that's where I found John Maxwell. And I said, public speaking, well, I can be a public speaker. And they very quickly, so right now I have like eight coaches. Yeah. Mm. And I have, and they're my coaches, they're my mentors, they're pretty awesome. But the same coach that teaches John Maxwell or coaches John Maxwell on public speaking is my public speaking coach. Hmm. So that's pretty awesome. But nonetheless, he very quickly said, there's a big difference between being a public speaker because the three of us can get in front of people and talk Mm -hmm. and you're public speaking. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between being a public speaker and being a professional speaker where people pay Right. Who hear you speak. (laughs) So then, so then I, so then that was my growth, right? That was, that, that was like, okay, how do I get good at a craft that I need to get good at if I'm going to live my purpose? And once I 
once I started getting into John Maxwell and going to the conferences for John Maxwell, I realized I belong here. Yeah. It gave me that transition, that nice tribe, even though the John Maxwell tribe is, you know, global all over the, um, I think about 170 countries are part of John Maxwell. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The DNA is the same. And the mm -hmm. DNA is to give, to give more than you receive. So, um, you know, I'll share with you guys. I now, my formula is the 60-40. And that is uh, give 60%. And if, if you get 40 back, awesome. If you don't, don't expect it. But always mm -hmm. give more than you receive. Mm -hmm. And be okay with that. Yeah, right. Uh, be okay with that. Love is love is uh, similar to that. Um, I will only I will only love you if you love me. I will only love you if you do that or that for me. Hmm. If you don't do those things, then hands up. Uh, how about just loving to love? Mm -hmm. How about just giving to give? Yeah. How about you sharing what you know? to share what you know. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that's simple. super powerful. Because, yeah, because that's so if powerful. You, if you give for any other reason, are you really giving? Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to make a transaction. So that's not really giving. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and you're still holding on to you. Yeah. Right? right. You're still holding on to what, what are people going to think about me? Uh, what am I going to gain out of it? Mm -hmm. uh, so right. if you just give to give, man, it's, pure freedom yeah yeah I, I do it all the time i tell scott i love him even though i know he's not going to return and you know he's not going to reciprocate the feeling back to me but i still but I love him he loves you <laughs> so weird <laughs> yeah the listeners can't see but i'm, I'm blushing you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> man, Erica, this is so awesome. I really think we need to do a part two one day because there's right. so many more things I want to ask yeah. you and uh, <laughs> about each part of it. I was just sitting here, just listening, and uh, and I was just soaking in every word. And when you were talking about the whole analogy about crossing the street, I will tell you that you've been crossing that road, and I've been wanting to follow you across that road for oh. a long time now. So thank you so much for for being on here, sharing your story. And I know that people listen to this and they're just going to be like, wow. You know what I mean? They're going to be nothing short of inspired to, to make a change for a positive in their life. And it might impact somebody, um, just that one person out there that hears the story and thinks, man, I need to do something, right? And, and uh, hopefully they're not in the same dire circumstance you were in, but there's people out there like that and um, they may need that nudge. So thank you so much. I mean, we, we, we truly are our most limiting factor, you know? We are. Uh, we are. It, it, we can. We can have any type of consequence thrown our way, any type of obstacle thrown our way. But if we don't take the the challenge and step up and move beyond it, then we only have ourselves to blame. So, uh, Erica, I, I thank you so much. It's great seeing you. I haven't seen you in a long, long time. I know. I know. I, I, re I really My appreciate you joining us. That's okay. Yeah, it's, I got. I got, a, <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple in there. <laughs> But, uh, I heard different too. <laughs> can, can I, I know that we're running low, but, uh, or mm -hmm. long, but uh, can I just share like three little points really fast? Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, please. Uh, please. And this, mm -hmm. is, um, this is about life and this is what I'm learning right now. 
And that is that sometimes if, uh, if we're not careful about our own growth, we see our lives from a historian point of view. And that means that we don't move forward because this and this and this happened to us mm -hmm. in the past. So we live in a historian perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Or we don't move forward because uh, we live in the reporter point of view in which we're just looking at what's happening to us now. Like the teacher, Joe, that you were talking about, I'm a teacher, I, I, need, to see, I need to see students in front of me. So you, uh, as a reporter, you live life from your, your present circumstances and that's all you see, mm -hmm. right? So um, if I was to challenge myself, and anyone that listens to, to this amazing program is to look at life from a futuristic point of view in which what is ahead and not what is ahead from a negative side, but what is ahead from opportunities, from growth, from change, from giving, from evolving. And like you have shared with uh, some of your listeners from uh, transforming into and, and that never stops uh scott transforming and evolving into your true purpose never stops so you you meet a goal guess what look around What's next there's yeah. another one right What's next yeah. yeah yes and and guess what what each each goal is doing each goal you. yes each goal is giving you a different awareness where you can then look at a bigger picture and then make better decisions. Anyway, I'm getting excited. <laughs> that is so amazing. You know, and, and, and before we get into what we usually do to rapid fire, you know, we do this rapid fire leadership questions. We're going to ask you four real quick. Hey, I'm ready. Boom. But, but before that, like, cause you talked about, um, you know, the professional speaker gig and what you've been doing. How's a way that, um, and we'll add this to the show notes. How's a way that if somebody's interested in bringing you on, you know, hopefully once some of this passes and it becomes a little bit safer out there in the environment, um, how do they get a hold of you? Is there a website or anything or how, what's the best way? So there is, uh, thanks for asking, Joe. Um, the best way right now is through my, my phone and through okay. email. I mean, that's okay. the simplest. I do have a website, but I, I am in, uh, in the process of transforming that because okay. uh, like we talked earlier, uh, most, of my, most of my drive was into public speaking and mm -hmm. uh, you know, God is good. And, and yeah. now I, I wanna transform it into what we're doing right now. And that is mm. the Zoom. I don't have to, I don't have to, even though I love people, uh, mm -hmm my message, their message can be communicated through so many different sources that uh, I am transforming myself right now. So right now, email and phone number. How about, awesome. uh, cool. can they connect with you through LinkedIn, through your LinkedIn profile? Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Instagram. Okay. Great. Yeah. So we'll put some of those out there in your email address in case, you know, there's somebody who listens to stuff. I'd like to get connected and maybe bring you on for um, some, some part of the goodness that comes with Erica Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. So. I was at Travis a few months ago. Um, oh, were you? Yeah. What month, what, what month were you here? 
Oh, I remember. Yeah, well, I don't. March was like eight months long, so yeah, <laughs> it felt like it, right? Yeah, because actually, I do remember that. I do remember that, and I had just got here and got. It was like in processing, and I'm yeah. so upset I didn't get to come see you. Yeah. So I, I do remember that, man. Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm here for you guys anytime you need me. Yeah. We thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a law enforcement episode. We're gonna like listen to all of her <laughs> great stories. <laughs> and there, and there I was, surrounded by fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, all right, cool. So, the rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. All right. First, first question. What is your favorite leadership trait? Oh, relationship. Oh. Yeah. relationship um, again uh, my core is um, we don't do anything alone so it is building relationships with people and it doesn't matter what the rank title or position is awesome, awesome. that's great All right question number two what is your favorite quote my favorite quote oh my gosh well I don't um, because I have to translate everything I can't say I can't say it verbatim, but um, okay. it comes from uh, Viktor Frankl, who. Uh, Answer for meaning. Do you have it? Yeah. Yes. One of the greatest is. books this of all like, time. This yes. is the man's search for meaning is like That's right. my, oh, I love it. Oh, yes. Uh, anyway, in here, he says that there's a gap between mm. Um, stimulus and response. Stimulus and response. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that gap is what dictates your character and dictates who yeah. you are at a core. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. I love, absolutely. I love my business. Yeah, we are Frank, we are uh, Frankel fans. Yeah. You are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. That's why you're my brothers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might be already the question, but I'm not sure. So I don't want to make an assumption here, but, um, what is your favorite book that you would that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? Oh, okay. So it depends on where they are in their growth. Okay. Uh, if it's um, if it's someone like me, injured and and starting mm -hmm. to believe in themselves, I would recommend the 15, 15 invaluable uh, laws of, of growth. Leaders. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that, that that's by John Maxwell. John Maxwell. And uh, because each chapter, each chapter, it stands on its own and kind of gives you a little bit of a little wake up call on where are you and the possibilities of, of where you can be. So um, that would be a, um, a book that is foundational individually. And then there's another book also by John Maxwell that is Leader Shift. Okay. Leader Shift. And I think that one came out maybe two years ago. And that book is about us, uh, depending on what position or rank we're in. Sometimes we get so stubborn about following a plan. And the plan in life, guess what, boys and girls, mm -hmm. with this global stuff going on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Guess, guess what happened to all the plans we had? Gone. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, that book teaches a leader uh, that maybe it's in a more mature state that you have to be able to shift your decisions. Don't be so mm -hmm. stubborn about being following the plan that you forget the, the goal, that you forget what the vision is for your people. 
So those two books, yeah, very cool. Awesome. Pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah, and we always add them to our um uh, to our show notes too, so that people can kind of go back and see some of the recommendations you have. Can I show you another one? Yes, sure. Three books. Yes. <laughs> Think and grow ah, rich, Napoleon. Yep. Hill. So yeah, it is. Yeah, just, read, just it read that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was that was I'm a great you, book. Like too. this right here, right? Is like yeah, yeah. See, that's yeah. why. That's why I'm here with you guys. Kindred spirits. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Cool. So, and then we always end up with uh, the final one, which is a little bit more of a deep question. How do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership? Because at the Llama Lounge, we're all about life, learning, and leadership. So, how do you find your harmony between those three concepts? It is because I know my purpose. Hmm. So, um, and I also believe that there's no true balance. Uh, you said harmony, and I do mm -hmm. agree with that 100%. And that is, uh, and I, I'm not a, a music master by no means, but I do understand that when we listen to music, the reason that we understand music is because of this silence between, right? Mm -hmm between the keystrokes, between whatever, the silence. So the harmony comes, okay, let me show you guys. Balance is you in the, in the center, mm -hmm. and because you want to keep balance, you're not growing and you're not moving because if you, if you move, you're gonna be off balance. So right. if you move this way, you're gonna be off balance, off balance, off balance. But if you have harmony, then all this just goes, moves in a nice, mm. beautiful flow. So. Beautiful. I don't, I don't have one thing that's stronger than the other. Mm -hmm. I welcome everything. And depending on what's going on with my life, then you find yourself in that beautiful harmony in which you find peace in the pieces of silence in between wow. the things that you're doing. Wow. Incredible. Alone. I know, right? That was Boom. amazing. <laughs> I don't know any other way to wrap this up because that was like the perfect, that was a perfect ending there. Erica, thank you so much once again. I don't know if you have a microphone that you can drop real quick, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, just drop it because that was just amazing. Uh, well, oh yeah, you got your little mini mic. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. And we so, uh, absolutely have to I'm have honored. I am truly yeah. honored. And uh, it, is, uh, it is so nice to spend time with you, both of you, and to be able to share and talk and to also uh, think alike. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that is uh, that we three want to um, add value to people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and give hope to the ones that might be struggling and to the people that say, maybe not me, uh, for the three of us to tell them, yes, you, you can do yeah, it too. Yeah. Why not you? Why not you? Yeah, not right? you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That is awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, to all our listeners, um, I don't say this often, but you're welcome because that was amazing. <laughs> and I know you're all going to get something out of that. <laughs> and, you know, as always be safe, stay healthy and llamas are out. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. We'd love for you to connect with us at www.llama-leadership.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash llama leadership and also on Instagram at llama leaders. 
And a big thanks to Mike Whitmer for the music. To check out more of this stuff, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike Whitmer. Thanks again. See you on the next episode.